This is the IEEE USA Insight Podcast, Episode 18, a monthly program featuring news, information, and updates from IEEE USA headquarters in Washington, D.C. And now your host, Chris McMains. Thank you, John, and hello, everybody. Results from the 2016 IEEE USA Salary and Benefits Survey are in. And once again, the news is good for U.S. IEEE members. Median 2015 income increased 3.85%. This compares to a U.S. inflation rate of 0.7% for all of 2015. Income rose from a median of 130000 in 2014 to 135000 last year. The news was even better for engineers working in systems and control. These disciplines enjoyed an income gain of 8.72% to $130,000. Engineers employed in communications technology sit atop the earnings chart with a median income of $152,500. Rounding out the top five job specialties are circuits and devices, $144,007, Signals and Applications, 142,792, Computers, 138,941, and Electromagnetics and Radiation, 137,912. Other job specialties reporting a more than 5% rise in income were Electromagnetics and Radiation, 5.79%, Industrial Applications, 5.5%, and Computers, 5.03%. IEEE USA is seeking applications from U.S. IEEE undergraduate and graduate student members to work in the media full-time in the summer of 2017 as reporters, researchers, and production assistants. Our mass media fellows have the opportunity to work for radio and TV stations, as well as newspapers and magazines. Their role is to explain complex scientific and technology-based principles in a way the average person can understand. Fellows receive a weekly stipend and travel expenses. More importantly, they gain valuable work experience and sharpen their communication skills. IEEE USA Fellows have worked at, among other places, National Public Radio, The Oregonian, and Voice of America. Our past two fellows were assigned to the Los Angeles Times. The Mass Media Fellows Program is run by the American Association for the Advancement of Science. IEEE USA is the only engineering society to sponsor a fellow and has done so since 2000. If you'd like more information, go to IEEEUSA.org backslash communications backslash massmedia.asp. The application deadline for 2017 is January 15th. Now it's time for IEEE USA eBook Corner, highlighting new and existing eBooks available to IEEE members. IEEE USA's newest eBook discusses why STEM is important. Anyone who wants to understand STEM, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, and its significance in educating young people in the United States, need look no further than Harry T. Roman. During his career as a working engineer, technology education was his second calling. These days, not only does he spend much of his time working with New Jersey students on special project team challenges, but he also instructs teachers on how to successfully integrate STEM into the classroom curriculum. Now Roman has written Why STEM is Important, a new IEEE USA ebook that demystifies the concept. 
both for engineers and anyone else who's interested in the subject. In clear, direct language, the author explains what STEM is, what it isn't, and why this educational model promises to launch a new era of U.S. economic productivity. Why STEM is important also offers examples of how educators can encourage an environment where students learn how to solve all different kinds of real-world problems. STEM is all about combining content and process to solve problems and create new products and services, a fundamental necessity for economic growth, says Roman. It's not about making kids into engineers, but rather about teaching them how to think and analyze more effectively. The author also explains what STEM is not. STEM is not an invention convention or an open forum to invent things, he writes, nor is it meant to be a lab course or special activity. Roman describes it as an educational spinal cord for a new academic day. And further, while it won't happen tomorrow, STEM is a transition to a new integrated educational curriculum. Why STEM is Important is available for $1.99 for IEEE members and $3.99 for non-members at shop.ieeeusa.org. I'm Georgia Stelluto for IEEE USA. In the IEEE USA Insight Spotlight, we bring you close up to a newsmaker or public figure with a quick one-on-one interview. This month, Chris talks with Walt Hubbard, director of the King County Office of Emergency Management, who was a keynote speaker at the recent IEEE Global Humanitarian Technology Conference. In this interview, he discusses the roots of his passion for helping people prepare for and recover from disasters. He also thinks engineers have a key role to play. Well, Walt, thank you very much for joining me here today at the IEEE Global Humanitarian Technology Conference. I understand this is the first time you've been here, and were you impressed with uh, some of the people that you saw and that you've met and some of the questions that you received? Yes, Chris, this is the first, uh, as I mentioned in the opening remarks, this is the first uh, IEEE conference I've attended. Um, so I did a lot of work uh, and, and, and research online with respect to IEEE organization, was really impressed with what they do. Um, I'm, I'm really, uh, it was encouraging to see the broad demographics in the community. I mean, we have young folks here, we have some folks, seasoned folks. I was had an opportunity to talk to a gentleman from Pakistan, uh, also uh, the, uh, some other folks from some more, uh, that provides more of your international flavor here. And it's encouraging to be able to see the sort of exchange of ideas that are here and the broad reach of community. So I'm, I'm really impressed with the work that's being done here. And once again, specific to this federal whole community guidance of reaching out and putting your arms around folks. I look at this as an opportunity to once again make some relationships and understand there are organizations out there that are working in parallel, but IEEE is working in an international theater as opposed to what we're doing here locally in King County. Walt, you mentioned that you think there's a, uh, a lot of common ground that your office and IEEE kind of share. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, um, we, the emergency management community has been really focused over, I think from its inception, I mean, the, the, the part of, we started with police and firefighters in a post 9-11. I mean, we've had emergency management in place before that, but resources were available and police and firefighters were really dominant in the emergency management community. And we still see that going down the road. 
I think now we've got, we're developing more of a professional emergency management community um, that not, not necessarily had uniform experience in the past. And we're realizing that there's a number of other organizations we need to, we need to reach out to who could really help us here. I mean, it, it, it became true to me when we began to look, look, we'll reach out locally to business community because uh, we weren't really sure we could establish our credibility and value with them. Uh, and then it began to sort of realize, yeah, we do have some things to share. The, the relationship we have with the University of Washington, I was asked by a lady from Pakistan after the, you know, the, the morning session, um, and, and, and that academic community relationship. So I think the work that I've learned now, having looked at what IEEE does, is an organization that we want to talk to our emergency management counterparts about, and we want to make sure that we try to maintain this relationship here. So I really do appreciate Joe and others reaching out and, and wanting to find out if we were interested in being part of the conference here. I think there's a future with us down the road here, because I think we all are going to have a, a play in not only preparedness um, and response, but I think more so in recovery. I think that's really where, and that's the discipline and the area that we've spent less time than anything else really collectively bringing community assets together or, or national assets together, in this case international assets together, to figure out how can we build better back after a catastrophic so I, I think there's a real value in having this relationship, and I'm happy to have an opportunity to be able to do this. And uh, you were you were talking about your 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 service in the U.S. Army. You made a career out of it. Uh, your father had been in the Army as well. And uh, did your experiences there help to inform how you look at your current job? That's a really good question. Um, I think. I think I was fortunate early on to be able to get out of the United States and to be able to see other cultures and other communities beyond my neighborhood. Uh, I think early on, and I've, I, I've been a real proponent of that with, with family members and nephews and nieces, I think that is really, really important because I saw how other people lived. I saw, as you and I, Chris, were talking earlier, the differences in quality of life um, I, also, I also walked away with an appreciation that there are ways that people do things that we do here very differently and much more efficiently. Uh, and, 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 and it makes sense once you've seen it. So it, 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 I think it provided a platform to be able to say, you need to be open to other ideas here. Everything that you've learned in your upbringing to this point and everything you've seen in terms of how to address and handle issues, there's another component out there. There's another way to learn how to do that. And also, I think it gave me a, a really rich appreciation for vulnerability. The, we really are blessed in many sections of, our, of this country. Um, and there are sections of this country who really need support and help. And the more diverse our population becomes, the more language challenge we are, the more cult cultural bridges we have, to, we have to build. I think that that sort of global experience uh, was fortunate for me to have early on. So I think it has an application. And with respect to our equity and social justice uh, piece here, which is really about access and availability and reaching out to portions of the community, I think that experience back in the service and being away from here for so long. And also, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed to be, have raised a daughter in that environment who spent most of her time learning. I have a really good friend who spent and raised, he's a former U.S. ambassador who lives here. 
he raised his kids basically overseas in Sweden and Japan, and you can see the richness of their cultural appreciation. Mm -hmm. they're, they're really quite different than, than their peers right now. So, yeah, I think that military experience uh, was a gift, and I'm fortunate to have had an opportunity to, to be part of that. And also, you said that you were you are a child of the Ninth Ward of New Orleans. You were born there, but your family moved here to Seattle when you were quite young. Now, of course, the Ninth Ward was is in the lowest uh, part of New Orleans, which is below sea level to start with. It was devastated by Hurricane Katrina, and uh, how did that affect you personally? You know, um, I, I I lost an uncle um, who had been bedridden. Uh, and just the logistics of trying to find someone to take care of him and get him out of New Orleans at that time. But I think that the thing that really came, that really hit me was four or five days before Katrina was going to hit, I called down to talk to relatives and I got my 15-year-old niece. And she said, hey, Walt, we're just going to a hotel. And I was like, you're going to do what? You need to talk to adults now because they're not thinking right. You need to get out of town. The day before it hit, she gave me a call. She said, we're on the freeway. We're going five miles an hour. We got parrots and dogs and everybody else in the car, but we're on our way. Um, I, I looked at that experience and I followed it very closely um, because that's my sort of family heritage. I mean, the, the attitudes and the values that my parents instilled in me came from their growing up there. Um, and so losing the Ninth Ward and knowing what that meant culturally to, to, my, to my family um, was something that was really important. And I'm still looking at New Orleans. I'm still looking at the post-Katrina event as a, an extra, as a lessons learned in terms of how do you not lose that when a community spent so much time building this up and there's been so much sacrifice that's been, that's been shared in, in that community and how rich that culture was. And now that some of it's been erased, how do we begin to build back? And it takes time, but um, it's, it's been an object lesson for me and one that is somewhat personal, even though I left there in an early age, um, and that I still continue to track because there's still a lot of work to be done there. Um, and interestingly enough, a friend of mine in another cohort that I had back east <clears throat> that was sponsored by FEMA uh, lived in New Orleans all his life. And he told me something very interesting. He said the real problem in trying to repopulate the Ninth Ward is that was agricultural land. So if you didn't have a lease from the federal government, you, you don't have a lease to build back. And as we know now, many of the folks living in the Ninth Ward were just renting places that were there. They didn't own the property there. So mm -hmm. whether or not you get the vitality and the cultural richness back in that area, I think is a real question mark going down the road. But it's an opportunity lost. Yeah, it'll, it'll probably never be the same as, as New Orleans will never be the same yes. either. What concerns you most here in King County from a natural disaster point of view? Is it, is it a, a big earthquake? Um, you know, our discipline says that we prepare for the worst because that way we can stretch the demands on the system and, and kind of back up to see what might happen. Our, our, our biggest fear is, as you, as you said, Chris, the earthquake. The no, it's a no-notice event. I mean, that's the one thing we will not be, you know, we, we have come to get a little familiar with storms coming in and we have some time to prepare for those. We have a very strong relationship with the National Weather Service here. And Ted Beener has been promulgating that and marketing that for years here has been a great partner. So we have great data coming in and as you know, 
that that forecast has gotten a lot sharper, a lot more accurate over the last several years with more tools that they're using. Mm -hmm. So that's not an unforeseen, unknown event that we have. The, it, the impact of that, like we're looking at this Saturday night into Sunday, and the impact long term in terms of the utility outages and power outages and the impact that would have on our communities here is something that is a question mark. But um, it is the unknown nature of um, the earthquake and all the models that we have looked at that has been done by seismologists, University of Washington, some of the academic and engineering uh, uh, partners that we have here have been telling us this could be very devastating, and so we need to be prepared. And I think this last exercise that we had, Cascadia Rice in 2016, just was a kind of a, a punch to the gut to say, we are going to be overwhelmed by demand. How can we get resources in place as quickly as we can to be able to satisfy that? Because folks are going to be out of support for a long time. Schools, jobs, the economy, there's going to be a long financial impact um, to this area. And one thing we're looking at that we keep talking about when we talk about recovery, let's look at this as an opportunity to build back better. And in order to do that, we've got to have, as you and I were talking about, we've got to have the business community, we have to have the engineering community, we've got to have our social services community working together and being able to talk to each other, which is why we were talking about the universal translator, to be able to exchange that information so we can actually apply that to residents who need our help. Mm -hmm. And nowadays we, we live in a world where we all have to be concerned about terrorism as well. These man-made disasters and tragedies that take uh, people's lives, destroy property, usually people that have nothing to do with the, the, uh, the, the, the problem that the terrorists see exists. How much does that concern you? Yeah, Chris, good question. Um, you know, before 9-11, it wasn't on our plate. Um, just wasn't something we were thinking of. Post 9-11, it's part of our package. And that's the reason why one of the things that we've been happy to be able to do is the alert notification system that we've just implementing now, a very robust tool that we're, it's not only county government, but also our residents out there. We're actively trying to get folks to sign up to be able to, so we'll know where they are and what their needs might be. Uh, that is, and, and, and that application um, is, has a direct impact on a biochemical incident um, that will begin to impact folks before we'll be able to get the notices out there. Active shooter. I mean, the, the, the scenario that I think has resonated when we provide the training for that is to say, look, if you leave your work site and you're just going three or four blocks up for lunch and something happens there, don't you want to know that there's a danger area around the area you're coming back to as opposed to drifting back in there? Uh, and, and, and also, uh, Oil trains have been a real concern for us recently. So the, the terrorism that we know lives out there that could have a devastating impact on our, our community is something that we now integrate into our planning and we're working very closely with fire and police, which we've always had good partners with to be able to plan for that. And we run scenarios about uh, on that too. Um, whether, it's a, whether it's an accident on a, on a, on a train, whether it's an intentional uh, release of biohazard, um, we have some very challenging infrastructure locations within the, the county and particularly in the city of Seattle. Uh, the whole intermodal site and the trains running underground within the downtown area is a, real, is a real problem that we've been looking at. So terrorism is part of our complement now and we do not take that for granted. Well, let me ask you, what would you like listeners, what would you like them to take away from this? 
not only this interview, but what should we all be doing to help protect ourselves and our families? Yeah, thanks, Chris. Um, I think the center of gravity for our work is personal preparedness, and it's the and unfortunately. In many places, it's the hardest message to get across because we found that people will respond when there's an incident, but when there isn't an incident, you know, in their that they've experienced or they believe is in their imminent future, it's just really hard to be able to say you really need to get prepared. So we're always going to preach. The emergency management community is always going to talk about personal preparedness. We've found different ways to get that message out. We're also doing some very aggressive outreach to non-English speaking communities that are here. Um, the health department will tell you carbon monoxide and, and the experience that they've had over the past several years and getting that message out um, to the immigrant community that's, that may be new to our shores is something. So personal preparedness is really very important. I would also tell folks, you're not alone in this. IEEE is an organization that I just became familiar with. We've had a number of folks who have come to the table who realize I don't have to have an emergency management background to know that I can that I have an important role to play here, whether that's a that's a community cert or person who's there and trained to be able to help folks out within their own community during during events. Or, or whether or not that's just teachers who are, are going to be helping students out and helping families out. But we are really going to be all in, all in this together when it happens. The impact of something that happens in one part of our county has an absolute impact on others. And particularly if this is a large no-notice event, as you and I were talking about earlier in terms of earthquake, that impact is going to be so broad and so deep that we're going to need this entire community to come together. And Chris, we can't do that overnight. Those relationships have to be nurtured early on and sustained, and that's the work I think emergency managers are finding. Um, we're conveners, we're collaborators, we're trying to identify why folks have a, a value and a play in this community and how they might fit in here to help each other out. So I think it's an all-hands-on-deck, and right now our challenge is to be able to get this message out that says, Get yourself prepared. Get your family prepared. Get your community prepared. Work with your workplace to get prepared. And then reaching out to the broader aspects in the community to be able to say, we're all going to be in this tent. So, it's, so when it does happen, it doesn't help to go off on your own. We all take, will benefit from this if we're working together. I think that's the message that we would like to continue to reinforce out to the community. Mm -hmm. Well, Walt, that's some very good advice for all of us. And uh, I've greatly enjoyed speaking with you and meeting you. And I look forward to some further collaboration between IEEE and the King County Office of Emer Emergency Management. So thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Chris. And I really appreciate the invite. It's been wonderful for us. Thank you. Thank you, Walt. Let's talk turkey here in the nation's capital. It's time now for your IEEE USA conference calendar update. Get a jump on the new year and head out to the Rising Stars Conference in Las Vegas on the 2nd through 4th of January 2017. Rising Stars is the premier student event in IEEE Region 6. This conference brings together the most promising students and young professionals to network and inspire each other and speakers from international top tech companies. Rising Stars will be held in conjunction with the Consumer Electronics Showcase, which occurs just after the conference. And check out the Computing and Communication Workshop and Conference CCWC in Las Vegas, Nevada, on the 9th through 11th of January 2017. 
Other conferences of note coming in 2017 include the IEEE Green Technologies Conference, Green Tech, on the 29th through 31st of March in Denver, Colorado, IEEE Southeast Con, March 30th through April 2nd in Charlotte, North Carolina, and the 2017 IEEE International Symposium on Technologies for Homeland Security in Waltham, Massachusetts, in the Boston area on the 27th of April. Be sure to work these conferences into your schedule. For more information on upcoming conferences, and to register, go to IEEEUSA.org slash conferences. I'm Georgia Stelluto for IEEEUSA. If you are among the more than 9,000 members who took the IEEEUSA Salary and Benefits Survey, you are entitled to five free uses of the IEEEUSA Salary Calculator. This online tool helps you gauge your salary range and benchmark it against similar engineers and high-tech professionals. You can also, for example, see what you would make if you were to switch to another branch of engineering in IEEE's fields of interest. In addition, you can get an idea what your job would pay in another part of the country. For more information on the salary report and how you can gain free access to the salary calculator, go to the IEEE USA Salary Service at IEEEUSA.org backslash careers backslash salary. Now through December 15th, IEEE members can get a free download of the IEEE USA ebook, A Living Resume, Volume 3, Documenting Your Professional Service, Community Service, and Consultancies. In this final installment of the Living Resume Trilogy, author Harry T. Roman advises readers on ways to participate in activities outside of their companies. Give back to your community, he says, and it will come back to you with great reward. IEEE members can download a free copy of this ebook by going on to the IEEE USA shop site and using promo code NOVFREE16. That's NOVFREE16. One of the benefits of IEEE membership is that you can download a complimentary ebook each month. We have close to 200 ebook titles available on our shop site, shop.ieeeusa.org. That's all for today's podcast. I'm Chris McMains in Washington, wishing you and your family a wonderful day. This has been the IEEE USA Insight Podcast. Join us again next month as we take a look at news, information, and updates from IEEE USA. If you have feedback you'd like to share, please connect with us by commenting on our IEEE USA Insight article, send us email at insightpodcast at IEEEUSA.org, visit Facebook at facebook.com slash IEEEUSA, or Twitter at IEEEUSA. I'm John Yuglinski. Thanks for tuning in.